This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukura. We're recording on Wednesday, June 1st. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Great. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. It's the first day, so we're right on time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been calling it Happy Gay Month, just because I think it's funny. (laughs) I think my wife got tired of that joke real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's only day one. She can't be tired of it yet. Oh, well, uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> you don't know how often I've said it. <laughs> but anyway, um, how has your week been going? You know, I, we were talking about this before. My Memorial Day weekend was not as relaxing as I hoped that it would be. So I've been feeling just a little scattered and frazzled. Just a little little unsettled, I guess. But I did actually get some really good reading done over Memorial Day weekend. I I was surprised. I got um, the hold of Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott uh, in from the library, which that one just won the Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction. And so like like a nerd, I was like, well, surely there will be a hold list on this book. There was not. There was not. <laughs> only me. <laughs> I'm the only one who wanted to read it. But anyway, I did read it. And it is, it is stellar. It is so, so so good. So it is about a a young girl named Dasani who lives in New York City and she's homeless. And so the book starts when she's, I think, 11 years old and follows her for the next uh, eight years. Uh, And her entire kind of extended family, her parents, her siblings, her half-siblings, and some of their extended relatives. And just what it is like to be a homeless kid in New York City over that entire time period. And the, uh, the level of reporting is just so in-depth. Like, you can tell that Andrea Elliott spent tons and tons of time with Dasani and with her family to try to, like, really like, convey their lives and who they are. And so, like, that is incredible. And she does such a good job of connecting this one family's experience to all of the institutions and all of the social forces and all of the historical changes that affect people who are homeless. And it just... It was, it's it's a really big book, like, I think close to 500 pages, maybe 400 pages of just text plus, you know, a lot of endnotes and stuff. But it just was, it was so, it was just so good. So if you have a chance and your library doesn't have a hold list, and even if it does, like, I, I cannot recommend this one. It reminds me a lot of Evicted by Matthew Desmond. Like, it has kind of that same, just like same vibe, I guess, of trying to really use, like, individual people to illustrate bigger issues around housing uh, for people. So Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott, general nonfiction prize winner, super good. I recommend it. So we've we've talked before about how you can read like harder books that I have a hard yes. time with. It, is this a harder book? Because it sounds like it. You know, it, it is. There's a lot of really um, difficult stuff that her family experiences. 
you know, they're, they open the book. There's a fam, they're a family of 10, I think, living in a single room in a huge New York City homeless shelter. You know, their family, there's not a lot of abuse in the family, but there's just a lot of abuse and violence around them, especially as she gets older and her siblings get older. So it, it, it is hard to read. It was, parts of it were hard, but I also like found the storytelling very compelling. And Dasani is a really engaging, I want to say main character, but that's not really a fair thing to say, but she's just a really engaging person to have spent time with in a book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I've, uh, I was reading a lot this last week, and especially Memorial Day weekend. Maybe there was something going on in the reading vibe realm. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing a lot of, like, audiobook nonfiction, which is especially weird for me this – like, it's been this year has been that trend. Mm-hmm. And I never used to. But for some reason this year, I'm like, yes, all of the audiobooks from the library. So I finished The Lost City of Z uh, by oh, David yeah. Grant, which was very fun. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it and his, like, focus on Percy Fawcett. I started, uh, what's the, oh, The Lost City of the Monkey God. Oh, that Doug Preston? Mm-hmm. It was, like, you know, uh, for people who don't, he's a National Geographic writer and just, like, went on this trip to Honduras to try to locate this Ciudad Blanca, which is this fabled city. And this one is, like, obviously meant to be paired with, Velocity of Z, like they made it very oh. similar uh, in terms of its appearance and obviously in the title. But the, while the Velocity of Z is overall focused on telling the story of Percy Fawcett, this is very like talking about like a current exploration and like trying to find this city mm-hmm. and m- not focused on like any kind of historical tale, which is interesting because he talks about LIDAR, which I'm just like all about uh, <laughs> when I talk about archaeological excavation, because they keep talking about it in um, documentaries where they're uncovering new things. It's always like, well, we use LIDAR. And so he talks all about that in the process, and it's been very interesting. But I also finished uh, My Body by Emily Ratajkowski, which mm-hmm. was a little hard. It was only like five hours long, but just the subject matter is tough, but not... I don't – there's, like, definitely some stuff with – I don't know if I would want to call it sexual assault. Uh, I already – I'm like, do I remember everything that happens in that book? Did my brain block it out? But she she does things that were really interesting, especially hearing from, like, the point of view that she has and the place she occupies in the world and just how her thoughts about her body have changed over time. She has a really interesting essay about Britney Spears um, during the time period where she shaved her head. And – there were a lot of things that, like, I kind of kept thinking about from mm-hmm. her book. So I really liked it. Especially, I don't know, things like women thinking about their own bodies feel, like, especially important right now where we have, like, this recent celebrity trial and which just oh, – and uh, obviously what's happening with Supreme Court. So, yeah, I liked it. So that is My Body by Emily Ratajkowski. Yes. I'm glad you talked about those. And there's one more tiny piece of follow-up we have to do, which is an intersection of both of our interests that (laughs) happened over the weekend, which was uh, Abraham Lincoln was the theme of the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle. And it was (laughs) so exciting. And I finished it. And then I took a picture and I sent it to you. I took a screenshot on my phone so that I could be like, look at this. It's so nerdy. And it it was delightful. I want to point out to anyone who is upset that um, I do not do the New York Times crossword, <laughs> so Kim was not just, like, sending me all the answers. Oh, yeah. I checked before I sent you the screenshot <laughs> to make sure that you weren't going to try to do it, because that, that would I would have been so mad if someone did that to me. 
<laughs> I did have one friend who just sent it unsolicited, but I think she knew that I don't do them. But yeah, yeah getting like multiple filled in <laughs> New York Times crossword screenshots. It was really great. Uh, I had a lovely Sunday. Uh, and it was the day after I visited, I did my Lincoln tour in Springfield, Illinois. We went to the Lincoln Museum, which is my third time there. Still great. Uh, I got a t-shirt that I am currently wearing. <laughs> and um, we went to the Lincoln House, which was amazing, and the Old State Capitol, which is where he gave the House Divided speech in the representatives chamber. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was, oh, it was so great. Lincoln's amazing. And they the whole, like, Springfield the section that's all about Lincoln, like the section of Springfield, is like very all about Lincoln. And you, there's not a lot else going on in Springfield aside from being the state capital. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just, oh, such a delight. The, my last comment is that the section of the town that has Lincoln's house, they have basically shut it down. So there's no cars that can go on it. And they've just recreated that area. So it's a little bit Pioneer Village-ish, except all the houses are like 18... 40s to 50s instead of like cabins they're just like actual house like like two-story houses from that period and so it's just like you look down the street and you can very easily place yourself and lincoln there um which is very fun so i had a great time amazing so anyway that's a bunch of nerdy stuff that we did over memorial day weekend uh and with that we will jump into our first sponsor today's episode is brought to you by bloom books Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. 
Awesome. So now we will shift to our first segment, which is nonfiction in the news. Um, just one article this week because we're recording early and I don't know, it feels like not a lot of news has happened. But uh, this is an article by David Canfield from Vanity Fair uh, titled Three Women. Lisa, T- Lisa Tadeo shares a vivid first look at her adaptation. And so this is about um, Lisa Tadeo wrote a book called Three Women, which is a work of narrative nonfiction that came out in 2019. That was a really um, in-depth look at the kind of relationships and sex lives and experiences of three different women. Uh, And so they are turning it into a television adaptation that's going to air on Showtime. Uh, And so one of the the first look that is happening is that um, there's a character in this show based on Tadeo who is being played by Shailene Shailene Woodley. Uh, So the first look is of of her and then of um, one of the other women, Betty Gilpin as Lena. (gasps) So that's very exciting. Yes. I love Betty Gilpin. I know, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Three Women was uh, eight year a book that was a result of eight years of reporting. A first-person account that illuminated the secret inner lives of Lena, traumatized in her teens and now waiting through a passionless marriage. Maggie, reeling from the aftermath of alleging her high school teacher uh, in a small North Dakota town, had a sexual relationship with her. And Sloan, a privileged Northeastern who sleeps with men and women other than her husband for her husband's pleasure. Uh, and so uh, it's a kind of deep dive into those different stories. And so, yeah, I did not know this was going to be a TV series, but it looks like it has a lot of cool... Um, actors or actresses in it and i you know i love a good reported story so (laughs) it was a popular book it was yeah i i don't think i read it but it was a very popular book um a few women in my book club i remember reading it and they had a lot of opinions about it so i did not read it either (laughs) (laughs) but should be interesting so great all right, and with that, we will jump into uh, new nonfiction, which are books that are coming out now or soon that we are uh, excited about. So um, my first pick is, I have to admit, one that I have not read any of the book of, but I'm excited about it anyway. And it's called Battling the Big Lie, How Fox, Facebook, and the Mega Media Are Destroying America by Dan Pfeiffer, uh, which comes out June 7th from 12. And the reason I'm excited about this is because the author is someone I'm very familiar with. Uh, Dan is the co-host of Pod Save America. He's a former communications director and advisor to President Obama. Um, he wrote a book in 2018, Yes, We Still Can, Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter, and Trump. Uh, and so he's just a very um, political communications guy that I find really interesting. Uh, he does a, a, a email newsletter that I really like. And so I feel pretty confident that this book is going to be really good and interesting, even though I haven't gotten to actually read any of it. So um, in Battling the Big Lie, he looks at how the right wing has built a big media disinformation machine that is sort of (laughs) manipulating the way that a huge group of people see the world. And so he looks at how this whole media apparatus works, where it came from, and then what people who don't agree with that can do to fight back against the disinformation that is coming kind of out of this whole ecosystem. And so uh, it has to do with Fox News and algorithms on Facebook and how... um, you know, other algorithms on social media just allow kind of conspiracy theories that support political agendas to work. And so um, he also looks at how like culture war grievances have started to um, be used as political tools and are magnified by uh, the right wing media. And so, you know, exploiting media biases and blind spots and um, how 
I'm particularly interested in his thoughts on exploration of Facebook and how the algorithms of social media platforms have like magnified so much of this messaging because I think that is a thing that like we all know but aren't talking about enough. Um, and then uh, the book also makes some arguments about how we can how um, progressive people can start to sort of fight back against this media machine. And so like he had an email newsletter this week that talked a lot about how like book sales can be used for political purposes and how there's a way in which purchases by political campaigns can artificially inflate books on the bestseller lists and then makes them seem more um, like in the culture than they actually are. And so I just think there's a lot to learn and think about with that. And so I'm excited to to read this one. Battling the Big Lie, How Fox, Facebook, and the Mega Media Are Destroying America by Dan Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah, they are frequently near the top of the thing. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting uh, about the way that, like, campaigns will use, will buy, you know, like, thousands of copies of books and then either, like, give them away or sell them on their campaign websites. But then those thousands of sales artificially send books up bestseller lists without them actually being popular. Do you remember when that one author got in trouble for doing that? Yes. I think it was, like, on their own. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, well, fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have a different fascinating and terrifying thing yes. to talk about. <laughs> do you like that? <laughs> this is a segue. I do. I'm jazzed you're talking about this one, too. Um, this is The Monster's Bones, The Discovery of T-Rex and How It Shook Our World by David K. Randall. It's published by W.W. W. Norton. I am very excited about this book. Okay, so this is post- the Bone Wars. And if you say, haha, Bone Wars, yes. But also, let's talk about what the Bone Wars were real quick. They were this time of very competitive fossil hunting um, between, this is during the earlier part of the Gilded Age, uh, mostly in the 1870s to the early 1890s. This was between Edward Drinker Cope, who worked for the Academy of Natural Sciences of Philadelphia, and Othniel, let's assume I'm pronouncing that right, Charles Marsh of the Peabody Museum of Natural History at Yale. So Yale versus Philadelphia. And they basically were awful to each other to try to get their bones that they, which now, you know, who goes to the Academy of Natural Sciences of Philadelphia to hang out. But (laughs) basically, this book picks up after that and is talking instead about the American Museum of Natural History in New York. So Henry Fairfield Osborne, Uh, was trying to sort of lead the museum to success. It was not doing great. And then there is Barnum Brown, who is a fossil hunter. And these are the two main characters of the book. Barnum Brown, was he named after P.T. Barnum? Yes, he was. (laughs) So uh, he was born in 1873. This takes place around uh, the early 1900s. So the first T-Rex was discovered, or the first documented T-Rex was discovered in 1902 in Montana. So... This is like him finding the T-Rex and then Henry Fairfield Osborne figuring out how to capitalize on this massive dinosaur that they find and how to like get people into the museum, which just like what a great idea for a book. Mm -hmm. I'm just really jazzed that this is coming out now. It's been like, obviously, like we see these books in the preview list for a while and I was like, now I can talk about it. So uh, again, that is The Monster's Bones, The Discovery of T-Rex and How It Shook Our World by David K. Randall. Super jazzed. Yeah, I'm really jazzed about this one too when I saw it because like, I guess, you know, like lots of history books, right? It's sort of like, I can't imagine a time when like this particular thing was true. But like, 
it is really hard to imagine a time when like we didn't know that T-Rexes like were a thing and then to like have discovered that and then be like look at this giant creature with big scary teeth and tiny little arms that like walked <laughs> you know like can't like I can't even imagine what it would be like to like go to a museum and see that having never like imagined that you know what I mean what is the line from that thing it's like I have a big head <laughs> <laughs> little right like i just i don't know like that just seems really incredible to me this idea of like discovering this enormous creature and then putting it up in your museum and being like yes come and see it and then what it would be like to just be like a gilded age person walking into this museum and being like oh my god look at that yeah you know yeah i don't know something about that is just really delighting me today so this sounds really great <laughs> And just in time for the new Jurassic Park movie. Oh, excellent. Yes, you're right. They probably did that on purpose. I would. That would be smart. Yeah, it would. I didn't think about that till just now. <laughs> Someone who is good at marketing thought of that, though, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My second pick is also a science history book. Uh, it's called The Wine Dark Sea Within, A Turbulent History of Blood by Dr. Dehoon Sethna comes out June 7th from Basic Books. Uh, and I would first like to say A Turbulent History of Blood is such a good subtitle. I love that mm-hmm. deeply. And so this book is a, uh, quote, revisionist history of medicine in which blood plays the starring role. So this book is a history of our understanding of blood, <laughs> basically. Uh, and so it, the title of the book comes from Homer, who originally described the ebb and flow of blood as like a wine-dark sea. And so the ancient Greeks thought that blood like moved back and forth in the body. And then that idea existed for hundreds and hundreds of years until a guy named William Harvey proved that blood circulates and so that the heart pumps and then blood goes, you know, through the arteries and veins and then returns to the heart. And so once he discovered that, that blood circulates and doesn't ebb and flow, it opened up, it like totally changed the way that we think about life science, like how bodies of all kinds work and how, how we can treat uh, illness and uh, problems in bodies. And so understanding of the cardiovascular system just changed medicine completely. And so the book is about sort of that progression from blood as a thing that ebbs and flows all the way to William Harvey and then what his um, discovery has led to. So stuff like intravenous therapies and cardiac imaging and bypass surgeries and dialysis and heart and lung machines that can pump blood throughout the body. And so all of that is built on the idea that we finally learned that blood pumps from the heart. And so it is like a thousands of year global history of all of the people who have had connections to this and who have made discoveries and scientific uh, revelations around blood and things that are connected to it. And so I read some of this one and it is a little drier than I was expecting. It probably like if we had a scale between like super popular nonfiction and academic nonfiction, it would be more towards the academic side. Um, It leans hard on the history part. And I think a little less on the storytelling than I was hoping, but still really interesting and a lot of just a cool kind of different approach to um, scientific history that I hadn't really thought about. So The Wine Dark Sea Within, A Turbulent History of Blood by Dr. Dehoon Setha. Well, that sounds very interesting. So thank you for sharing. Uh, No, it's just like, it's that same thing, right? Where you're like, of course, blood pumps. Yes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know it for a long time. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. so weird. Anyway, so 
My next pick is The Face Maker, A Visionary Surgeon's Battle to Mend the Disfigured Soldiers of World War I by Lindsay Fitzharris. Lindsay Fitzharris is a medical historian, which uh, I did not have to share, but I was so delighted by the fact that that is her specific niche mm-hmm. that I was like, I'm going to talk about it. So her previous book was The Butchering Art, Joseph Lister's Quest to Transform the Grizzly World of Victorian Medicine. Both it and The Face Maker have great covers. I've been meaning to read The Butchering Art for so long, partially because I'm interested in the subject matter, but also just because I love the cover. Because, I mean, it's a real good selling point for any book. Mm-hmm. So this one, The Face Maker, is focused on – so World War One is, I would say, famously, or I guess infamously – it had it had tremendous effects on um, in terms of, of physical damage that it did mm-hmm. to soldiers. Right, this is when they used like nerve gas and they were had like trench foot from being the, and just like all of this awful awful stuff. And what this focuses on in particular, so in her last book, right, she focused on Joseph Lister trying to reform things. Here, she focuses on Harold Gillies, uh, who was a pioneering plastic surgeon who. His whole uh, mean, or I guess, uh, focus in life was to reconstruct the faces of the injured soldiers that came under his care. So he established in the UK one of the world's first hospitals dedicated entirely to facial reconstruction. And he assembled a group that would help um, recreate soldiers' faces, which just... I mean, we can say that, right? Again, like, just like, oh, sure, recreate a face. But Mm -hmm. that can go wrong so easily. And it's such a delicate operation that it's just, I mean, it's amazing what he did. So, and the fact that she chose to focus on him and, like, this incredibly positive, amazing thing that he did for all of these people who were so badly wounded. Really amazing. So this is, again, The Face Maker, A Visionary Surgeon's Battle to Mend the Disfigured Soldiers of World War I by Lindsay Fitzharris. That sounds really good. And I yeah, I was looking up the covers as you were speaking. And yes, super great covers. Mm-hmm. Really stellar. But yeah, that just, I don't know, like going from the blood book to that one, it's just very like, boy, medicine didn't know a lot. And yet we have done really cool stuff stuff right like to even think that like plastic surgery in world war one um which just seems like plastic surgery seems like just such a an advanced piece of medicine i guess that 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 was happening around world war one as you said a famously brutal brutal war in terms of its impact on individual soldiers so yeah very cool that sounds like an interesting pick this just it reminds me i've been watching the original series for star trek which is um quite an undertaking to make oneself sit through but uh there's a few good episodes and it just keeps reminding me of star trek 4 when they go back in time to get the whales which is so good it's the best star trek movie and they're at the hospital and bones (laughs) sees this woman who's like really sick in the hallway and he's like you know what's wrong and she says oh they have you know i'm doing kidney dialysis and he says dialysis what is this, the Dark Ages? And then later you see her being wheeled down the hall and she's like, fine. And she's like, doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite part of that movie. Okay, anyway. Um, Oh, I wanted to shout out one other new release, which is 1368 China and the Making of the Modern World by Ali Humayun Akhtar, which just like, 1368, what were we doing during that time? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Well, Native people were doing things. Oh, yeah. In the United States, but. Oh, and in 
as I was just talking about, Honduras, because Ciudad Blanca, or the, the various sites that people think inspired it, was like a thriving civilization at that time. Gosh. Yeah. So things were happening, but we don't think about them. I was specifically thinking of my ancestors, who I bet yes. were just sitting around. Probably. Mine also. <laughs> All right, with that, uh, we will hear from our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. So uh, this week, our theme, because it's Pride Month, uh, we thought we would uh, spend our first episode of June talking about uh, queer books or books that you could read during Pride Month. So my first pick is Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabe, uh, which came out in 2019. And uh, I picked this one because I have, you know, read lots of memoirs by gay and lesbian people, by trans men and women, but I couldn't think of a memoir that I have read by a non-binary person. And so um, this one has also been in the news a lot because it's on the top of many um, challenges in school and public libraries. And so I, I just wanted to, I wanted to read it and it had they had it at the library, and so that was great. So um, Maya uh, uses uh, the in the book, uh, they're called Spivak pronouns, which is E, M, and heirs, uh, which are just one version of gender-neutral gender neutral pronouns. And so the book is about 
Maya's experience growing up as a girl, but never feeling like that gender identity or that body really quite fit, but not in the sense that you often read about in memoirs by trans people of just feeling like their gender was wrong, but more in the sense that no gender was really going to be right. And so he writes about growing up and sort of not really like grasping or understanding like different gender norms that other girls and boys experienced and just being like very confused about that and kind of going into high school and college and what are experiences with sexuality and like kind of emerging sexuality and what that was like and trying to kind of understand that and so it's about self-discovery and self-identity but also like is very frank about a lot of like the embarrassing things that happen. So like crushes as an adolescent, how to come out to our family and how to advocate for correct pronouns once you decided what you wanted their pronouns to be. And so it's just really, really interesting. And part of what I really liked about it was there's a, a kind of a theme that runs through it of wanting to have language to ex- not wanting to be labeled and like not wanting to have to fit into boy or girl or trans or gay or lesbian so not like not not feeling like those labels fit and not wanting to be labeled but then also the experience of finally finding language that describes how you feel and how you exist as a person and so there's a really interesting tension there for me about like how, do, how does that work? And I really, I liked that theme of the book of sort of grappling with that whole idea and also like how gratifying it can be to finally have words and pronouns and labels that feel authentic to a person. So I just, it's a really lovely book. It's a, a illustrated memoir. Um, so it's a super fast read, but very evocative. And I feel like it really, obviously like one memoir is not, the definitive example of a non-binary person's experience, but I do feel like I have a better sense of like what nine what uh, being non-binary means in relation to other LGBTQ uh, identities uh, in a way that I didn't really before. So that is Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabe. Oh wow, that seems like really thoughtful and good. I feel like my book, <laughs> my book is like not not thoughtful, but like kind of flippant i don't know not not wanting to take itself seriously no it's also i should it's not super serious like there are some funny parts and some like very vulnerable parts um and so it's not like it's not dark you know it but no, it, it didn't seem dark it was more like again i feel like thoughtful is different than yeah that's dark. True. that's true just like really being considerate of the content being written that i can't just like book challenges you know just, just get a hobby <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I was reading it as I, as I was reading, I was kind of thinking about like, you know, aside from like, it's gay. And so that's why it's being challenged. Like I was trying to like, not get, not understand the challenge exactly, but just like try and see like, is there stuff in here that seems like maybe they could be challenging for some other reason? And like, there is some like very frank talk about sexuality and sex and all that. But like, I just, I don't get it. Like, there's no reason. (sighs) I mean- I feel like if we have the book Mouse in elementary class, like that, you know, that content is so intense. Mm-hmm. And and we did have that in my <laughs> like fifth grade class. And I read it and I feel like it was really helpful. And just like, I don't know, I feel like kids can handle things beyond what some adults think they can. Yeah. 
Well, and two, like this book covers childhood all the way through young adulthood into the 20s. And so like, obviously, I, it would not be a book that I would recommend necessarily for children just because it's complicated. But like a high school kid is going to understand what all of this means. And it's going to mean something for someone who is trying to see their own experience in a book and they haven't before. Like, right. You know. <sighs> okay. Um, so my first pick is Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby. And it is Samantha Irby's third book of essays. I I think I would put it – I need to reread them all. But I would think I would put it second after Meaty. Mm. I think it goes like one, three, two for me in terms of preference. But I did really enjoy Wow No Thank, wow, no, thank You. And it's like – I picked it for this because it is like at a very particular point in her life during Meaty and maybe the second? I don't remember. I think she was still dating men and then came out as bi – and uh, is now married to her wife and lives on like a like a farm <laughs> in Michigan. <laughs> I don't think it's an actual farm, uh, but they do have a lot of animals and they live in a big house. Uh, but it's like a farmhouse type. Anyway, so in this book, something I love about Samantha Irby is not only her uh, aforementioned uh, flippancy, but also like these things that other people, I feel like it could like be the main thing they talk about. I just feel like she's like, yeah, and then there's this. And it like, it refuses to let this be like how she is identified. So like she has Crohn's disease and she talks a lot about that and how it impacts her life and like going out and all this stuff. Um, she talks about like being stuck in the bathroom at a bar and all these people are waiting in line, but like, you know, she's mm-hmm. like dealing with her with her disease so or illness. So it's, um, it's, just, it's just funny. And then uh, talking about her relationship with her wife but again it's not like i'm bi and this is like the whole book is about that no the book is about her feelings about real housewives and her how like much she does not want to get a dog which is funny because after the book came out they got a dog but there's a whole essay about why it would be such a bad idea to have a dog (laughs) but um just like these like not necessarily minor things but I just love how intense she gets about things that other people might not. I also am just so into the fact that she is very into these like luxury, like bath and beauty products, partially because I just am not. So when people are like unashamedly just like, I love this so much, like this moisturizer, um, it's just a delight because it's a different experience. But um, I think that this, for me, I picked it for this section just because it does show like another way to live a queer life, which is just like, this is like one part of my identity. I came to it maybe a little later in life or like leaned into it later in life. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot else going on for me. <laughs> so um, again, that is Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby. That is a great pick. Yeah, I think it's important to like have celebratory and joyful and funny, you know, books to celebrate Pride Month too. So that was a, that's a great pick. So my next pick is a collection. Uh, it's called Queer There and Everywhere, 23 People Who Changed the World by Sarah Prager with illustrations by Zoe Moore. Farrell. Uh, and so this is a LGBTQ history book for young adults that the book jacket describes it as for fans of fun, empowering pop culture books like Rad American Women A to Z and Notorious RBG. So that is what sold me because I love Notorious RBG. And so this is just, it's a young adult nonfiction book that uh, delves into the lives of 23 people who uh, loved on their own terms. And so it goes, you know, back in history all the way to contemporary folks and just has these brief uh, couple page uh, 
you know, three to five page summaries of their lives and how they had loved differently. So, you know, there's people you would know like Frida Kahlo and Eleanor Roosevelt and Alan Turing. Also people, you know, I wasn't familiar with, Renee Richards, um, you know, people like George Takai, all sorts of just a range of different people. The one I saw that I'm curious about is Ma Rainey, who I recognize from films that I don't really know anything about. Just so just lots of, they're fun. And, you know, it's YA, so it, you know, is easier to read. Um, it's, it's funny. It's got these really uh, cool illustrations. They're like black and white, but um, kind of sketchy and fun. Uh, each of the like intro pages has a, a fun uh, TLDR about the person, which I think is really funny too. Just kind of giving you a like, hey, this is who it is and this is why we care about them. Uh, and so I just, I love that. Um, I think we've recommended this year a lot more like kind of anthologies or collections like this one. And so uh, I was really excited when I was poking around my library that I found this one because it looks just really, really fun and just like sort of a different and wide ranging survey of the queer rights movement and how queer people have lived over time. So Queer There and Everywhere, 23 People Who Changed the World by Sarah Prager with illustrations by Zoe Moore Oferell. I remember when we didn't have any books like that. I know. Now we have multiples. It's great. So many. It is great. Oh, gosh. Um, That was in the last, like, definitely the last 10 years. For sure, yeah. But I don't know. I can't narrow it down more than that, nor do I need to. Okay. Uh, my second pick for this section is Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. Is she related to Steve Madden? Yes, she is. So is her uncle. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I know. Whoa. <laughs> but so uh, Madden, so this, I would say this is a more serious entry uh, maybe a little more serious than I normally do, but um, I wanted to do something a little different. So this is a, a her memoir about growing up in this family that was pretty wealthy, and she she describes herself as having cult like privilege. But uh, she also grew up as a queer biracial person, where um, her mother was Chinese and Hawaiian, uh, her father was white. And as she got older, especially during her teen years, she sort of realized she was having these feelings for her friends, as, you know, we sometimes do. And um, it sort of talks about – okay, the warning for this is that um, her father uh, deals with alcoholism and there is definitely talk about domestic abuse mostly concerning her parents. So just be aware of that. Um, there is also uh, stuff about drug addiction and again, like her parents. So she's like dealing with this, but then also kind of like learning about like herself and her identity and how she, and I, these kinds of books are also interesting because she is like 33 now. So it's not like, you know, when people write their memoirs, and I feel like this happens all the time now, but when people write their memoirs in their late 20s or early 30s, it's like, oh, there's so much more that's going to happen. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, this is, it's interesting to, like, capture this moment in time and be like, this is who I was, this is who I am now, and then to be like, oh, but who, like, what's going to change from that? Mm -hmm. So, which is another reason, going back to the Samantha Irby thing, that her books are really interesting. Because you're like, oh, your book is, like, your life is so different from how it was in, like, book one, and now we're at book three. So, it's much more, I would say, also, like, literary 
uh, if you're looking for that kind of thing. So like difficult subject matter, but um, very introspective, very literary ish. She was she had a really positive blurb from Chanel Miller saying that she wished she had a book like this uh, when she was growing up, which is also like just very impressive because Chanel Miller's book is so good. But uh, yeah, so I would if you're like of the more introspective, pensive bent then I would say this book. So Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. I love that as a, a, a contrast to Samantha Irby's book, right? Like they're getting at different, th- like related things, but in different ways. So yeah. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> great pick. All right. So we will uh, wrap up this episode as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now at this very moment. So um, the next book I'm hoping to pick up is uh, The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life by A.J. Jacobs. Uh, So A.J. Jacobs is a author I really like. He does... um, Pretty traditionally, he does stunt memoirs, so he's done a lot where he, like, for a year does something very particular. Uh, And so this book is about puzzles. And so it is convinced he's convinced the puzzles have made him a better person and so he sets out to like investigate why puzzles are good for people and um he works with a guy named greg pliska to make a bunch of puzzles like for the book and so there it is a book about puzzles puzzle competition it says in the blurb that they go to the hardest corn maze in america which i'm I'm very curious about that (laughs) being from the midwest and then there's like a whole bunch of puzzles in the back. So uh, AJ Jacobs, I think he's really funny and I'm very into puzzles right now. So uh, The Puzzler is the book I'm going to read next. Uh, that, yeah, that sounds sounds like a book for you. <laughs> so j- today, which I felt like it was like in honor of Pride Month, my hold on Girls Can Kiss Now by Jill Gutowitz came in. I was very excited. Uh, this is a book of essays. I've been reading Jill Gutowitz like her internet writing for a while. She used to just write, um, I don't even remember how I found out about her. Maybe she wrote like funny recaps of things or just like articles where she talks about how great the movie Carol is. <laughs> That's what most lesbians do. Um, but then I like over time, I feel she got more and more attention and she got a better job. And then now she has this book out. So I'm very excited to support her via my library uh, and to read this book because it's probably going to be stuff that I know that she starts out, or at least in one of the essays, talks about how Orange is the New Black, like, awakened her sexuality. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. I remember that time on the internet. So, anyway, Girls Can Kiss Now by Jill Goodowitz. And uh, in conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Uh, if you have a few minutes, then we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that people can find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I'm Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>